This is Moravian Mornings, a podcast discussing the history surrounding the Moravians who settled in Wachovia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Moravian Mornings. This is part two of our discussion with Jacob, and we also just wanted to let you guys know that next week we will be taking a break, so our next episode will be released on September 24th. All right, let's get started. So from the research we have done on Moravian clothing, we know that the Moravians had some things to say about the presence of more fashionable clothing that began to appear in Wachovia. Can you talk a little bit more about the Moravians' reactions to newer fashion trends in Wachovia and other areas and why they reacted this way? I'm going to blame it on what I blame most things. As someone who does most of my living history as a loyalist when it comes to the American Revolution, I'm going to blame it on the American Revolution. That's what I I try to do that with most things. You really see this. Well, so there's really two events. They're both wars. Um, The French and Indian War, you end up at one point with 200 non-Moravians with about 60 Moravians living in Batabra. And when you have that much culture, because you're looking at Scotch, Irish, and Germans and English, um, when you have that much culture all mixing together, there's going to be some fashion carryover. Now, what's really interesting is you don't see the complaints then that you do after the American Revolution. So after the American Revolution, and this is kind of true of fashion in general, there's kind of like this own a very American fashion that comes out of it, out of the revolution. And that seems to have kind of spread to the Moravian Church a bit, too. You see people start getting in trouble. Or, well, you see the elders in the elders' records start making rules about what not to wear. I and a lot of other living historians get really excited about that because that means if they're, getting, if they're saying you can't wear it, that means someone tried to wear it or successfully wear it, wore it. You know? So one of the interesting things is women are told that they can't uh, wear shoes of a certain height. Now, I will tell you from speaking with other living historians that when shoes do get to a certain height, especially like straight-lasted living history shoes, they do get a little bit more complicated to walk on cobblestone streets and things with, but they limit that. If I remember right, there's one about the color of shoes, saying that shoes don't need to be red. And then there's one for men, which has caused a lot of debate over the years. It kind of reads like the length of sleeves. It doesn't make sense. There's really, sleeve length kind of stays the same during that time period. So we went back and looked at the original translation, myself and my friend Drew Neal, and he came out with the idea, and I I support him 100%. What they're actually talking about is skirts on waistcoats. Uh, So if you're familiar with a men's waistcoat from the 18th century, it's, it's like a vest today, but it has skirts that go down different length they kind of get shorter as the century as the 18th century goes on um so in like the 1840s they're like knee length by 1760s they're getting kind of like mid thigh and then by the revolution they're almost uh either you know just a few inches or what's called a roundabout which is cut at the man's waist and there seems to be this this concern with moravian brothers flies showing or in this case it's they've actually stopped wearing breeches with flies. They're actually wearing breeches with what's called a flap at the front. Uh, much more like, I guess, like overalls today. I don't, there's not even really a good comparison. Uh, I don't, <laughs> there's just a flap with two buttons. And so it seems like the Moravians are seeing it as obscene or inappropriate that the flap is showing on these men's breeches. And so they do list and say, like, hey, like stop wearing short waistcoats. They need to be full length. 
which is really interesting because that's one of the first times that we see the men getting called out for things, whereas the women are pretty much called out incessantly for breaking like the tract or the dress code. And in the 1780s, around 1785, the elders kind of try to crack the whip again. I think they see it like the war is over, you know, it's time. Like we let some things slide because, you know, a war was literally happening in our backyard. But now it's time to get serious again. And so you do see this weird like resurgence in being strict with the rules. It doesn't go over well. And of course, by the 18 teens up in Pennsylvania, there's a full out uprising up by Moravian women against the Schwersenhalbe, which at that point, like I mentioned earlier, they're calling it the Schnabelhalbe, kind of like poking fun at it. And then uh, by like, I think it's like 1815, the elders up in Pennsylvania decide that the, the Schwersenhalbe is no more and they allow Moravian women to start wearing like a more, it's still like a a well-regulated thing. They're all supposed to wear the same one, but they allow them to start wearing one that's much more stylish. Um, So I kind of look at 1815 as like the end of the Moravian very strict dress pattern, which you got to admit, they do it for almost 100 years. It's like 80 years um, that they do have these rules. So I guess good on them for that for it lasting so long but it kind of can seem like a weird hill to die on for them but well and I'll tell you it's really interesting looking especially in Wachovia at estates for women so as a, a, a woman passes away they you know do an inventory of all of her possessions most of those possessions are clothing it's it's really interesting how many uh, how much of a Moravian woman's personal possessions are clothing it's, it's really, really cool because by the 1770s, you're starting to see them like playing with kind of cool colors and different fabric mixes and some prints and stuff that you definitely don't see in the 1750s and 60s where uh, the clothing is actually being made by the choir and distributed. It's also interesting that you start seeing a new garment. This is some research that I'm doing right now that I haven't really shared with anyone. So Darla first found it first here. There's a garment that they start mentioning in the late 1760s and it's called a contouche, C-O-N-T-U-S-C-H. Sometimes with an E on the end. I don't know a lot of E's there. And that garment has perplexed me because the first time that I ran into it was for the Taylor's records in Christian Byrne and a enslaved Moravian woman comes and gets this garment for a different Moravian woman. There's a lot of things that were like, whoa, 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 hold on, weirdness. One, that tells us that like the garment is not super like custom because someone else can come order it and pick it up for you. So that kind of tells me like this isn't a super fitted garment like you're seeing with a with a jacket. But also that is a tailor's records and tailors did not make clothes for women typically. But here is this tailor making clothes for a Moravian woman, and it's, and it's listed as a contouche. And so a lot of research led me all around the world. That word actually comes from Poland. <laughs> and in Poland, it's this like really swanky dressing robe, typically like completely lined with fur. I mean, it's just like what, like when you're like a famous Polish warlord, it's what you get your picture in. Like that's most of them that you see. And it's like, Pretty sure that's not what these Moravians are wearing (laughs) in Salem in North Carolina in the summer. So followed it a little bit further and then ended up actually finding a female tailor in Germany 
there's an etching of her wearing and it's one of those like cool prints where everything is labeled like the shears and the basket that she's carrying and the garment she's wearing is a contouche and it's really weird it's essentially like they've cut it on a tee and just put a single pleat in the back uh so it's kind of a cousin to a bed gown what we would call an english bed gown also somewhat similar to what what is called typically in living history a short gown but 1760s is we're way too early for short gowns surviving short gowns don't start showing up until the 1790s so and and the first short gown in wachovia that we have record of is 1801 in an estate so it seems like what they're doing is having that is like their undress garment if that makes sense so like if you're working around the household or you're amongst other sisters um, in the single sister's house it's okay to wear this garment and it's going to be loose fitting it's going to let you move around however you need to doing the work that you need to do. So that that's like their undress, but really contouche jacket. That's it. That's the two upper body garments that you're seeing up until the 1800s in Wachovia, which I thought was really interesting. I assume that by like 1790, they'd be breaking the rules a little bit more, but it seems like in the backwater, it kind of lingers. Are there any strange facts or anything else you find cool that you wanted to share? Now, what I found really, really interesting is uh, there's a lot of cool stories and cool information that comes out of all of these, you know, the married couples that end up in Bethabra. Well, they come from Harrenhut and then they get married in Bethlehem. Some of them are from Harrenhut. Some of them were already in Bethlehem. And then they come down and, and none of them have clothing. So I always have found it really, really interesting that they, it's like one of the first times they pull a bunch of women into the clothing conference. And they sit them down and uh, a lot of like your main leading women in the North American Moravian church are there and they get to talking about like where they can cut corners and stuff. And there's a lot of, a lot of what's called um, reversing coats. And so like, you know, flipping coats, they'll take it and take it apart and sew it back together inside out. What was the inside facing the lining is now the outside. It's like the reversible coats that you like technically have today where you could just like flip it around. Yeah, except they're actually like taking it apart and flipping it around and remaking it. Um, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, there's a lot of like, like really, really, really terrible dye practices going on. Like I was mentioning with the like only you're only going to do like the warps or the wefts. And so you're going to end up with a medley cloth, um, which is pretty common. It's just cheap. And then a lot of like linen, there's like this linen panic, which I found fascinating. They end up buying a ton of linen from Philadelphia. So the idea that like Moravians were kind of completely self-sufficient, at least in that moment, is not true. It's, it's not until later in the 1770s that you see them, or late 1760s, really pumping out clothing. And then the other thing I found really, really interesting, Moravian men, at least, really, really seem to kind of embrace local fashion faster than Moravian women. And so, you know, there's the famous, I don't know if it's a watercolor, I don't know the medium exactly, of, of Salem in the background. And then there's a Moravian farmer, and then the artist has like painted or drawn himself in the corner. If you notice, they're both wearing trousers instead of, you know, breeches, the end of the knee, it's like open bottom, closer to pants today, and round hats and a summer jacket, uh, which, you know, isn't as like, big or or kind of as fitted as well sometimes it's fitted but not as as big or as long of a garment as a coat 
which shows that Moravians, like everyone else, are really adapting to the heat. As someone who has worn a jacket and trousers in heat and someone who has worn like breeches and stockings and a coat and a waistcoat, that's way cooler. Um, so just like everyone else, the Moravians are allowed to kind of cut corners for necessity, but it seems like the women aren't really allowed to do that quite as much, which I'm sure was not fun for them. Oh, it seems like there is a, there's a sister who's in charge of making all the other sisters clothing. That was always a big question as to who we know that there are all these tailors who are selling all this clothing to non Moravians uh, and to Moravians. Well, it turns out uh, in several records, it mentions the sister tailor. It seems like there is a, someone who can make clothing from pattern, probably draft pattern. So not really a seamstress, like a true tailor in the Moravian females choir who's doing all of the female clothing, at least up until, you know, the, the last mention of one that I know of off the top of the head comes from when they're leaving Bethabra and moving everyone to Salem. They say like, oh, she needs to stay as the sister tailor for Bethabra, at least until what, 66, they're still a dedicated woman making the clothing for the rest of the sisters. My assumption is that it probably falls apart with the O economy falling apart because, you know, there's not that charge system anymore. It is really cool to look at Taylor's records and, you know, you see the price um, recorded for what things cost. And that's just the Taylor recording. Like that's his proof of work. You know, he's not, he's not really making any of that money, you know, because the, the church is paying him what he needs. So that, I've always thought that was really interesting to look at how he, he values his time. Thank you, Jacob, for joining us and giving us the rundown on Moravian clothing. Let us know what you all think of this week's episode. And again, if anyone has any questions on Moravian clothing, they'd like us to answer or forward to Jacob, um, email us or message us on our Instagram. This has been an episode of Moravian Mornings, a historic Bethabra Park podcast. If you have any questions, or would like our hosts to discuss certain topics, please email us at moravianmornings at gmail.com, or message us on our Instagram page, also titled Moravian Mornings. Thanks for listening. Auf Wiedersehen.